All right. Matthew 26. Let's go there. Matthew 26. And uh, maybe find your place in John 12, too. I think that'll help us. John 12. Matthew 26 and John 12. I'm having you mark John's gospel because, um, as is often the case, some of the other gospel accounts help to fill in some of the blanks on details. Never does the Word of God contradict itself. It's always in perfect unity and unison. But those four accounts, what we know as the gospel, the good gospel means good news. They're giving their vantage point from the spirit led um, position and, and um, inspiration. We understand that. And so Matthew um, doesn't, necessarily, doesn't necessarily go chronologically. We're going to see that here as we look at this account that we're going to focus on here today. So we'll start reading in verse number one, Matthew 26. Our series is entitled, Jesus is King. And it says, and it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, and obviously that's referring back to chapter 25, 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. And my, how I enjoyed studying that out and trying to preach it on these Sunday mornings about the doctrine of the end times, not what might happen, but what will happen. So after he had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Verse six. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. Verse eight. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. Then he explains in verse 11, For ye have the poor always, with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Everybody see that? She did it for my burial. Then look what he says in verse 13. In fact, we're fulfilling it today. Verse 13. We are part of the fulfillment of verse 13. 
Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, including Oklahoma City, right? Wherever it's going to be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. So it is my privilege to get to give a memorial to what this lady did. Let's keep reading through verse 16. Then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, what will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for, watch this, 30 pieces of silver. The price of a common slave in that day and time. Not a lot. 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he, speaking of Judas, sought opportunity to betray him. So I've entitled the message this this morning, some stand in opposition while others bow in worship. Some stand in opposition while others bow in worship. Setting a price on the Savior. Setting a price on the Savior. What's he worth to you? Setting a price. There's a price being set on the Savior right here. Setting a price on the Savior. What's he worth to you? May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's give good heed to what God is saying to us here from this particular passage this morning. <clears throat> I'd like to begin with this statement here this morning. What you're willing to spend depends on what you value. What you're willing to spend depends on what you value. What you're willing to spend depends on what you value. I collected baseball cards growing up, like many probably in this auditorium, and, and my dad would tell me it's only worth what you can get somebody to pay. And I said, oh no, dad, this card's worth, you know, X amount of dollars. And he said, well, if you can find a buyer for it, well... You know, I mean, he's right about that. What you're willing to spend depends on what you value. Uh, I remember preaching um, the parallel passage to Matthew 26. It's been a long time ago now, I guess, um, maybe um, 11 years or so, something like that. Uh, out of Mark 14, we were going through the gospel of Mark and um, thought about that statement. What you're willing to spend depends on what you value. And at the time, the sports world was shocked by how much that the angels were willing to pay and sign Albert Pujols. I wasn't really thrilled about it as a St. Louis Cardinals fan and a fan of Albert Pujols. I mean, uh, still to this day, and I'm glad he, I'm glad he got right. Came back to the Cardinals in his latter days. But anyways, uh, they paid him $254 million for 10 years play. $254 million to play in California. 
Uh, the Cardinals offered him $210 million, but he couldn't make it on that. <laughs> I calculated that out. That's about, I mean, depending on, you know, if he gets three at-bats per game or four at-bats per game, that's about $52,000 per at-bat. And most of those times, he's going to strike out. They could have paid me to do that. I'd strike out for a lot less than that. So, I mean, that was so many years ago now. I mean, obviously, but, but the sports world was just recently shocked. Listen to this, Lionel Messi, perhaps the GOAT, greatest of all time in soccer. I mean, I, I'm probably creating a debate right there. I didn't really intend to. I don't know a whole lot about football. Some of you just impressed I said it that way. Is that all right? We doing okay? Amen. Okay, good. We got some Spanish-speaking individuals here. So football. His uh, re recently just signed in the United States. Soccer. Football in America. It's a new day. It's a new time. Listen to this. Hang on. 1.6 billion Two years. Am I right? Got it right. Two, 1.6 billion. 50 to 60 million per year. 50 to 60 million per year. I mean, he's got the record for the most goals in a season. Um, 91. How am I doing? Doing all right? Okay, good. I'm just checking the Spanish delegation right here. So... <laughs> 91 goals, you know, in a year. I mean, really, but you think about that between two years. I mean, that's 500 and some thousand dollars per goal. My soul. That's a lot of money. Well, what you're willing to spend depends on what you value. Some value messy enough to be able to give that much money, pay that much money. If you go to a prime steakhouse here in Oklahoma City, you're going to spend $200 for two people to have a nice meal, a steak, uh, $40 to $60, depending on what you do. If you're going to Wagyu, you're going a little bit higher than that. But um, Most of us know much more about McDonald's. But if you go to that prime steakhouse, you're willing to spend that much. And here's what it is. What you're willing to spend depends on what you value. So if you value your date and you value a good steak, hopefully in that order, then you're willing to spend that much for a steak. And by the way, 50 to 60, you know, that's just for the meat. That's not a side. Oh, no. You got to buy a side along with that. And Now, they're shareables, but anyways... Trip to the jewelry store. After you've gone to the steakhouse, then you're probably going that direction eventually. <laughs> what you are willing to spend depends on what you value. Is this making sense? The disciples right here in this count, they believe that Mary spent way too much. She had wasted that precious ointment by using it all at one time. Well, what you're willing to spend depends on what you value. They said it was a waste. 
I think we could ask of this text, this text here that we're looking at, why was Mary willing to spend so much on Jesus? So we need to understand how much was it that she spent there? I mean, was that an extravagant amount? I mean, alabaster box, that's not something that we talk about every day. Uh, the disciples saw it as a waste. Mary, Mary willingly gave it. In fact, she gave it all. She didn't hold anything back. And, and then you see the religious leaders that are in this text as well. And and they're willing to pay a certain amount to, to, uh, to be able to find out how to take Jesus privately and secretly. And then Judas was willing to sell him for just a minimal amount. What's he worth to you? Michael Green uh, said this about this passage. He said, we are undoubtedly meant to contrast the extravagance of, of the woman's grateful love with the plans of Caiaphas and Judas who want to put Jesus to death. Isn't it amazing that in this one passage, on one hand, you have those who are plotting and strategizing on how to kill him. And on the other hand, you have a woman bowing at his feet and, and anointing his head as, as well as his feet. John gives us more details. That's the reason I had you to turn there, that she anointed not only his head, but also his feet with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. Michael Green went on to say this, he's flanked on one side by hatred and treachery and on the other side by adoring love. A lady who just wanted to give more for what he had done in her life. And really so it is today. Even in our society, even in this very hour, there are those who want to do away with biblical Christianity to silence those that would hold to the Bible, that would love the Lord Jesus. There would, there would be a subtle move to do that and sometimes just an outright oppression in that way. But then there's others that just absolutely adore him. Yes. Same dynamic is playing out even here today, and I realize there may be someone here that does not know him as Savior, and it is a distinct privilege and honor to get to speak of our Lord and Savior, to try to explain to you what's going on in this passage, but also to speak to those that are saved, to challenge you and I to have that married type of a mentality, that there's no cost too great for him, and that by God's help, I don't want to hold anything back because he, listen, he is worth it. He is worth it. I want you to think about that here this morning, that he most certainly is worth it. But we see two treatments of Jesus in this passage. We're at a very transitional part in our study of the gospel of Matthew. Five different times Matthew changes uh, the scene basically and goes into a new unit when, it, unit when it says, and it came to pass when. And, and so this scene is taken up where the last scene has left off. But this is the final scenes of Jesus' life that we're going to look at. We're going to see that, that he's going to be crucified. I, uh, it, this is a, a very significant passage that we have come to. And by the way, as you see in verse number one, it was no surprise in verse number two, it was no surprise to Jesus that he would be crucified. It seems like the Jews are in control or it seems like the Romans are in control. Maybe Caiaphas as the high priest. But listen, friend, there's someone that's at work in this text way above all these human instruments. And that's the Lord God Almighty who from the foundation of the world way before time ever began as we knew it, he knew what man would do. He knew what would happen when he created man and he created you and he created me with a free will knowing full well that we would sin against him and live in rebellion against him and yet he loves you. So much so that he sent his son to die in your place and that was the foreordained plan of God on how you could be saved. 
Jesus knew what was going to happen to him as he spoke to his disciples and he finishes his discourse on the end times. And, and he says, you know that after two days is the feast of the Passover and the Son of Man is to be betrayed and to be crucified. It's very significant that this was the Passover time. The Passover, that terminology, maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. The Passover harkens all the way back to the book of Exodus where Moses is used of God to bring the children of Israel out of Egyptian captivity. And what they did then is that they took an innocent lamb and they killed the lamb and they had the lamb for a meal that night. But, but in addition to that, they were to take the blood and they were to put the blood over the doorpost. Of the door, when the when the Lord passed by and was going to take the death of all the firstborn, where he saw the blood, there was a Passover. No death came to that house where the blood was applied. It was this time of the year. It was at this very season. Not coincidentally, but providentially. And here it was that they were commemorating the time when an innocent lamb had to die for them to go free from bondage. And now there's another lamb that's on the scene. Years prior to this, three years to be exact, a man named John the Baptist stood in the Jordan River and saw Jesus, the Messiah, coming and said these words, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It is at this very hour that now the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be our sacrificial lamb, would be your sacrificial lamb, that his life would be, would be taken, although we would say it better, that he would give his life for you and me. His blood would be shed that you might go free. And where his blood is applied, death does not reign. No, where his blood is applied, there's life. I want to ask you today, are you under the blood? Have you been saved by the blood of the crucified one? You say, I'm not sure that I fully understand that. That's why you're in church today. Listen, you're not here coincidentally. You're here providentially because you are a sinner and I am a sinner. There's nothing you could do. Listen, this morning, there's nothing you could do to save yourself, but he died in your place. Jesus said, it's the time of the Passover and I will observe the Passover with my disciples. And, and then he knew after that, that he was going to be betrayed and, and that he was going to go to that old rugged cross and die in our place. And that's what he's looking at. And that is the time period in which uh, Matthew is writing these things. And, and as he's describing that, he begins to describe how that those, those religious leaders, including Caiaphas, the high priest, the high priest over the whole realm of, of the Jews. And, and he was not over the Roman government, of course, because that was Rome. This is the Jews, but he's over the Roman, or sorry, over the Jewish uh, people. And he's the high priest. And he says, listen, we've got to figure out something to kill this Jesus. Josephus said that approximately 250,000 people would come to Jerusalem during the Passover. We were there back in April and I cannot even fathom 250,000 people crowding into this small area. The old city at least. It's packed. Roman occupied. And I think that probably Rome got a little nervous every Passover. 
Why would Rome get nervous? Well, the Romans know Jewish history and they know that it was, uh, they were ruled by a foreign power there in Egypt, but then, then God delivered them. So now they are the foreign power ruling the Jews. And they didn't want any kind of an uprising. That's why Pontius Pilate would be there and others would, would be there at such strategic times because an uprising would cause them to lose their control. And so here's Caiaphas and he feels like he's losing control. And, and here's the Roman government. They feel like they're losing control. You know what it sounds like to me? Man likes to have control rather than letting God have control. And so this is what's going on as, as, they, as they form their, their time together and they speak there in the house of the palace of Caiaphas. And, and they knew this. Listen, they knew that there are people from Galilee who followed Jesus. And they knew that if they were trying to take him, that they had to do it with subtlety. Because if the people of Galilee alone rose up against them, then they'd have a mess on their hands. And so they knew that they were, they were proud of their hometown hero, so to speak, as he was from Nazareth, that city that was near to Galilee and in that region, rather, of Galilee. Caiaphas had been a high priest from AD 18 to AD 36. He's going to continue on. And, but listen to this, from AD 37 to AD 67, there were 28 high priests. So Caiaphas knew how to hold on to his power. And here he's being very careful. He's being very subtle. The evil one knows how to work subtly against the purposes and plan of God. So this scene is taking place. Okay, now that brings us then to verse number six. It says, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. So wait a minute here. It says, now when this happened. Now, here's what we need to understand at this juncture. Okay, look at John chapter number 12. Okay, John 12. You need to see this, I believe, chronologically. Matthew's doing something different. He's not just going by the storyline as to how this chronologically unfolds. He's doing something very specific, and we'll see that in just a moment. Okay, so join me in John chapter 12. Everybody still with me right here? All right, that's three. That's enough. We're two or three are gathered together. That, that'll work. So, all right. Um, now look at verse number one. It says, now six days before the Passover. So back in Matthew, it says uh, that it was two days into the Passover. So we have a difference in time here. No contradiction. No contradiction. But look what uh, John says. Six days before that, he came to Bethany where, was, where Lazarus was, which had been dead. Come on, you can't just read that and just got to read over it. Which had been dead. He was fresh from the dead. Lazarus was fresh from the dead. He's in this house and he was there and they made a supper. And watch this, verse 2. Now, you're not surprised by this. Martha served. Martha served, but Lazarus is one of them that sat at the table. So <laughs> that's a blessing, Brother Tom. If you look at verse number Oh, verse number nine, much people, they came. They didn't come just to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus. They had never seen a dead man eat before. I mean, a once dead man. They wanted to see Lazarus. And, and so here they are, they're in this house. And, and so then he explains in verse three, then Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus uh, with, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And then you have the whole scene plays out. And, it, and he names, look at this. John says it was Judas Iscariot who said this. Why was this given? He even says it had been worth 300 pence. We'll get to that in just a moment. So, 
Matthew says, now when this happened, John says it was six days prior to the Passover. If you read on in John's account, then it shows this, that after this scene, then he leaves from there to enter into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. You say, wait a minute, Brother Gaddis, we've already, we've already covered that way back in chapter number 21. Yes, that's exactly right. Matthew's not following the chronology of this. He's getting the significance of this and he's putting these stories together. Again, there's no contradiction. In fact, John, I'm sorry, Matthew and Mark just say, now when this happened. So then he's going like a flashback in time, remembering what happened in the house of this man named Simon as Mary came. He doesn't even mention who, who the woman is, but John tells us it was Mary. Is everybody following that so far? You got it? Okay, so John said it was six days prior. Then you have the triumphal entry. In fact, one of the reasons why that so many people came to the triumphal entry, John tells us, is because they were so enthused about what happened at the tomb of Lazarus. You say, wait a minute, you said all that and I don't even know what you're talking about with Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, had died and he was four days dead. He was four days in the grave and Jesus showed up on the scene and watch this. Mary, the woman that's in our passage, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. You know why? Because they'd seen Jesus heal so many people of all kinds of diseases. And she knew if we can get Jesus here, in fact, they sent for him. If we can get Jesus here, then he can heal our brother and he'll be just fine. But Jesus purposefully waited three days. He wanted to make sure that Lazarus was dead. You say, that's uncaring. No, he wanted them to see the glory of God. He knew what was coming for him. Listen, our God's in, in control. He's sovereignly in control right here and, and he knows what he's gonna do. And so he showed up on the scene and he went to that tomb and he said, roll the stone away. And Martha said, Lord, that's not a good idea. <laughs> because by now, four days later, he stinketh. I guarantee it that'd be the case. But the Lord said, roll the stone away. And then he said this, Lazarus. Maybe he didn't even have to say it loud. Maybe he just said, Lazarus, come forth. I just kind of think maybe it's a loud cry. Lazarus, come forth and come hither. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. I know I mention it every time I mention that, but I'm mentioning it right here again. I, I think I, the Baptist preacher was right when he said he had to say Lazarus because if he just said, come forth, everybody that died would have come forth. <laughs> You gotta be specific right here. Lazarus come forth. Lazarus comes forth and then my soul they have such a meal. But listen, it's during that meal. We're tying these two things together right here. It was during that meal that Mary took that, that flask. It would be, you know, I, I don't know how large it was at its base, but then it would narrow to the top and alab alabaster was what it was made of. And she took that precious ointment and, and Mark and John say it was of spikenard, which was an ointment that came from, from Northern India. So it was a very costly uh, ointment that was there. And, and, and so she took that and it was, listen, it was very customary that if somebody came to your home after traveling, that you would take just regular oil and maybe anoint their feet, wash their feet and then anoint their feet. And you may even give them a little bit of um, uh, oil to anoint their head because it was a dry, arid area. And, and like we might have, you know, uh, 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 things available to people where they can do the same. It was very normal that they would use regular oil. It was not common that they'd use spikenard. But Jesus was not an ordinary guest. And this was not an ordinary occasion. He had, think about what's going on here. He has just raised her brother from the dead. And she knows what he has said about his upcoming crucifixion. Now, whatever she understood of that, I don't know, but the disciples sure didn't get it, but women tend to listen a lot better than men do. 
Come on, gentlemen, is that right? Okay, I know for sure the disciples, they didn't get it, but, but I don't know all that Mary understood, but here's what I do know. I know that at that certain moment that she broke the top off of that and she went over to where he was at the table and don't get you know our style of eating where we were sitting at the table in your mind. It was more a table that was just about maybe six inches off the ground and they would lay on their side and they would eat with their hand here. And so it'd be very easy for her to anoint his feet and then to anoint his head. And when she broke open that, that box or that, that jar there of that precious ointment, then the whole room smelled. And there, watch this, everybody's attention was in one place. Oh, you know what, by the way, that'll preach right there. Everybody's attention here ought to be in one place on him. And, and so, but instead of it being on him, the disciples put it on her. She didn't want that. She took that precious ointment and put it on his head. Uh, and, and Judah spoke up, said, what is this waste? John said, um, he didn't say that because he actually cared about the poor, but he kept the bag. And he was thinking we could sell that and that'd be 300 pence, which would be 300 days worth of work. I mean, near, listen, this was about a year's worth of work for her. Maybe it was a family heirloom, but it was nearly a year's worth of work. This was very, very costly. And Judas said, why have you wasted it? And by the way, Judas wasn't the only one. The other said, yes, why is that wasted? We could have sold, they sound so pious. They, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. Jesus said, I trouble you, the woman. She's done a good work on me. Watch this. She's done this to prepare for my burial. Now, I, I, I don't think that she necessarily understood all that. Because after he was crucified and taken down hastily and placed in the grave, then she's going to, the other ladies are going to come and going to anoint the body of Jesus. So I, I don't know that she fully comprehended that, but listen to this. He did. He understood it. And she has anointed me for in preparation for my burial. And so then he said this, everywhere this gospel is preached, I wanted to be told what she did. Did you catch that? He's about to be crucified. And he says, wherever this is preached, wherever the gospel is preached, what's the gospel? The death, the burial. <laughs> and the resurrection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, wherever this gospel is preached, he knew that he was going to rise again from the dead. Here he is right here saying, she's prepared me for my burial, but he knew that that was not the end. This gospel is going to be preached everywhere. And I want people to know that here's a woman that thought I was worth so much and she didn't have a whole lot. Don't think this is her just giving her token attention. No, listen, friend, she gave a year's worth of work to him because he'd done so much for her. And listen, what you're willing to spend depends on what you value. Caiaphas and the others, they didn't value the life of Jesus because he threatened theirs. 
And Judas didn't really value the life of Jesus evidently as we see in the text. By the way, there's only two individuals in this room right now that knew that Judas was not who he really presented himself to be. It was Jesus and Judas knew. And he will betray Jesus for, as we saw there, 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus was treated this way by Caiaphas and the others. And he was treated this way by Judas. And he was treated this way also by the disciples. But he was treated this way by Mary because she valued him. How do you value him? Think what a price he paid for us. giving his life on the cross for you, suffering for you, taking, taking all of your sin, taking the punishment, never once having sinned, but taking all the punishment for your sin. Think how much he's done for you. There is no way that we could ever repay this great Savior. No way. But we ought to be willing to do this. Worship. Say, God, there's no price too great for me to pay. I want to be willing. I want, I'm willing. I want to give of my resources. I want to give of my time. Can I tell you something here this morning? Nothing that is given to Jesus in sincerity is wasted. No life. The, the world would look at this like the disciples said, and that's such a waste. What a waste of your time being in a church on a Sunday morning. But oh, but if you know who he is and what his value is, and you know how wonderful he is. Hey, listen, you're not wasting your time being here on a Sunday morning, sir. You're not, it's not better for you to be out there on the lake fishing. You'd be hot and stinky anyways. Now listen, you're on the right, you're, you probably wouldn't be catching anything either. You know it, come on. It, it doesn't even matter if you call the biggest bass in the, in the whole state of Oklahoma. It doesn't even match who he is. But how many times does even believers kind of trade Jesus in for a lot less? Just like Jesus traded him in for a common price of a, of a slave. How many believers trade him in and say, you know, I'm done with church. That's self-focused. Mary was focused on him. The others were focused on themselves. Caiaphas was focused on himself. He wanted the applause of men. He wanted the power and prestige of people. Listen, what's, what's really, you're willing to pay a price for whatever's really valuable to you. So what needs to matter most is him. You work and serve in the ministry here at Southwest Baptist Church. It's not for the church, it's for the Lord. And it's worth it to serve for Him. It's worth it to get up early. It's worth it to, to stay up late. It's worth it to study and get a lesson ready. It's worth it to be out on a hot bus. It's worth it because He's worthy. Yeah, it's worth it. Those of you in Bible college, you're not wasting your life. You're not wasting your life serving the Lord. No, you're making a good investment if you're doing it for him. Now, let me say this. Anything that's not for him is a waste. He's worthy. Mary was willing to give extravagantly because she valued who he was. More than she wanted man's applause. She didn't do that for man's applause. She wasn't trying to start some controversy right there. No, she just loved the Lord and wanted to serve him. She valued him. They valued themselves. 
Which do you value? Is that a valid question based on this passage? How much do you value the Lord? Be easy just to trade in time with the Lord for a little bit more sleep. I'm not against sleep. In fact, God gave it to us. I'm glad for it. But if your personal comfort and rest is taking you away from feet, time at the feet of Jesus like Mary had, you've made a bad trade right there. Now, every one of us is going to miss some time with the Lord. I understand that. But here's the point. We should value him so much to say, Lord, I want to spend time at your feet. Um, don't trade in your relationship with the Lord for more money at work. So, you know, if I could, man, if I could work a little bit more, it'd be less time in church, but I'd have more money and I could pay for more things. Judas traded him in for money. Man, if we, um, if we got our son on that ball team, someday he could make $254 million and take care of us in our old age. <laughs> Wait a minute. What's worth more? Your kids growing up to serve the Lord or growing up to serve you? Or to serve themselves. And I'm not against sports. I mean, you understand that. You know that. But I'm telling you, no sacrifice made for him is wasted. And no sacrifice made for him is forgotten. He said, this shall be remembered. Let me ask you these questions here this morning. What does your use of time say about your values and how you value the Lord? What about your giving? Does it show that you value the Lord? How about your attitude? God commended what the disciples saw as a waste. How about I challenge you this way? Don't hold anything back. Because there's no expense too great for how great he is. Father, thank you this morning. As we've considered the worth of our Savior here, who paid such a great price for us. Lord, I thank you. While there's a world that wants to do away with your influence, I pray you'd help us to draw close to you like Mary, who came to you with her burdens, who found her blessing right there at your feet and certainly gave you her very best. So God, we want to give you our very best, Lord, as followers, as believers. And then for anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they would trust you even today. In Jesus' name, amen.